This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Happy Monday. It's time for our Zoomer squad. And as you just heard in Jeremy's news, uh, word is that we are entering into phase two and we don't have to wait till the end of the week as usual on Wednesday. So uh, what effect is that going to have on us and on all of our issues. In the meantime, long-term care is still front and center. Hundreds of Canadian Armed Forces members deployed to long-term care facilities in the greater Toronto area have started to head home. <clears throat> Excuse me. And of course, they found cases of abuse and negligence as well as bug infestations, bleeding infections, and residents left crying for help for hours. And they've been instrumental in providing at least a temporary remedy. Some of the hardest hit homes have been taken over by the province, which handed management to local hospitals. So is the situation stable enough for the end of this support? And it comes as Jeremy said, as nursing homes with no outbreaks have been allowed to let visitors in. One visitor per resident each week outside with physical distancing and masks. So advocates say that is far too restrictive. And also last week, we learned that the government is considering granting nursing homes immunity from legal action related to COVID-19 in some instances. The long-term care facilities say they won't be able to get insurance without this. What do you think? Good idea? Blank check? The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'm joined by Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Hi, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. So, uh, we just learned uh, we're entering Stage 2 as of Wednesday, uh, what do you guys think? Let's go around with that first. Don't all jump at once, Peter. <laughs> I, I think it's a good idea. I mean, um, we can't we can't wait until the cases are zero. Like it's just not going to happen, as we saw in New Zealand, where they were zero for a long time, and then two more sprang up. Um, I, I think we have to get this economy going. We have to get people working. We have to get. Uh, we just have to start getting uh, the whole thing going again um, and and uh, you know the first steps are are necessary and, and and this one is is hugely necessary for us Marissa well I mean I think I think we're seeing some positive numbers in terms of uh, you know the number of cases being reported positive it seems to be going down um, and so that's a good thing and I think people are eager to get back out there and and are looking forward to phase two. Ontario has been very slow to reopen compared to a number of other provinces. And that's because, of course, Ontario and Quebec were some of the hardest hit provinces in the country. And so that makes sense. So it has been a slow process. And I think people are frustrated about that. But 
or we're frustrated with that. But I think, you know, the, the government's doing everything it can to make sure that it opens while maintaining safety of people living in the province. Um, and so it feels like it's the right time. David. I agree uh, completely. I'm side enthusiastically with Peter's take on it as well. I think that uh, it's high time. But I also, I also want to point out that this is a bit of a unique problem because there has been so much change in objectives and measurements and what are we trying to accomplish in the first place. And I can't keep track of what the strategy is anymore. At first it was to flatten the curve, let this occur as long as the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. Then it appeared the hospitals were not overwhelmed. And now it appears that, well, we're trying to get the infection rate down to some target that I'm not sure of, and I'm not sure what it even means when you consider how checkerboard the testing is and how flaky the denominator is in the whole calculation. So they're wandering all over the map here, and I think that it really is high time to get back to uh, uh, normal life if we can. Well, and we do know that, you know, one of Canada's largest, the reason we haven't been able to reopen is because we couldn't get deaths under control in long-term care. Well, let's talk about long-term care, Marissa. Uh, a bunch of developments. We've been told to watch out for military vehicles. The military is leaving a number of homes that mm-hmm. that uh, they went in to, to try to stabilize the situation. We've seen the beginning of visits, which uh, some advocates say are far too restrictive. And we're also seeing the government considering indemnifying nursing homes against claims related to COVID-19. So uh, are things better or worse for the residents of long-term care? Uh, While all of those things are (laughs) probably require a response, an individual response for each, but maybe I'll just comment first on the, on the guidelines. I can honestly say we've, we've received a slew of emails and calls from members that are frustrated with these guidelines feeling as though they're heavy-handed, they're not balanced, uh, uh, some suggesting they're not even evidence-based. So, you know, I appreciate the province, you know, exercising an abundance of caution here and lifting some of these restrictions. And no one wants to necessarily see these restrictions lifted entirely because we've seen such a devastating toll on our long-term care homes. Um, But we also need to remember, especially in light of the military report, that family caregivers are not just a nice-to-have, they're a necessity, they're essential in the life of residents living in these homes. Um, And so, you know, when you consider some of the measures, some of the things that the government has said is, so for example, you need to have received a a COVID-negative test. Um, which will grant you uh, within the previous two weeks. So you'll basically be allowed to to have two 45-minute visits with this test and then what, you need to get tested again. The other challenge with, with negative tests and with testing in general is it's, it's difficult to obtain. People don't really know where to go to get tested. And you could test negative one day and, of course, come into contact with it the next day. So is that really the right measure? Um, and then also, you know, the restriction around, I, I appreciate physical distancing, but now people are, are being asked to be double-gloved, double to wear masks. Okay, I can understand that. I appreciate even active screening. 
Um, but, you know, limiting uh, people to one guest. Well, let's say that guest has mobility challenges and can't get around on his or her own. Uh, now they need to bring someone with them in order to go visit their husband, sister, brother, whoever lives in the home. And, and will that caregiver be able to support them? I mean, I, I think the, the restriction around one guest and, and certainly the, the COVID test within a two-week span of each visit feels a little heavy-handed. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, last week we heard from a woman whose husband is in a home and she is older and she's talking about how the for her to go and stand in line for hours and in a place where she she could well catch the virus is 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 ridiculous. David, I think that uh, the, the restrictions are very onerous, and they can't be traced back to some scientific reason. And they also contradict other instructions we've been given. So if I'm six feet away from a loved one and I'm wearing a mask, uh, and we now know the, the prevailing wisdom is that unless I you know, sneeze or cough or something virtually right on top of them, uh, it's almost impossible for them to, uh, or it's very difficult for them to be infected. What is the rationale behind one person only uh, and not two? What is the rationale be- behind uh, the number of visits I'm allowed over a period? What are they trying to accomplish at this point? They've not been able to express that in any sort of scientifically reliable terms. And I think that's why it seems so heavy-handed and arbitrary. And my, my call is, and I don't want to criticize the province because I think overall being caught short by this coming out of nowhere they've you know they've done their best but this looks to me more like optics than reality look how tough we're being look how careful we're being look how cautious there's no reason for it you know uh, and Peter this is one of the things that's interesting to me and I think it was probably an honest mistake, but I have not seen any acknowledgement from the province that some of the things they did hurt rather than helped. The the one that stands out to me is moving uh, ALC patients, alternative level of care patients who had been basically languishing in hospitals for a long time, but moving them into nursing homes to clear space in hospitals. And then for a long time, the hospitals were, were empty, creating issues for people who needed other kinds of treatment. So what's your take on all of this? Yeah, well, um, you're not going to hear the government admit they did something wrong, probably. But uh, um, in in this case, uh, you know, there's been such a clear um, paper trail with COVID cases that, you know, they, the government's enforced this on the home. So the homes can track exactly where their cases uh, came from, whether they came from hospitals or in, in, and in a number of the outbreaks, they did come from hospitals. So, so the government, uh, even though they won't admit it, they, there is a paper trail, and this will come out later. And and they're they're going to have a lot of explaining to do when all this is said and done uh, on on the measures they took at the beginning. And and sorry to interrupt, but yeah. the other side of that was that a lot of homes did not let people transfer their loved ones to a hospital when they right. were really sick. Right. That's right. So, so they're, they're, it was just like a, a mess from the beginning. And uh, I, I suppose they're trying, with these measures, they're trying to restore some order and trying to say, look, we, we put this in place now, and this is the new, uh, you know, the new regime going forward. And, but uh, certainly um, it's a bit late in the day. 
for for long-term care families and residents. You know, last week I was speaking to Dr. Nathan Stahl, who has very strong feelings on this. He, of course, is a leading geriatrician. And David, one of the things that he said that we actually did not have that much time to get into was that the that a lot of this was ageist because no one bothered to ask any of the residents of long-term care and that quite possibly they would be willing to take on a little bit of additional risk in terms of visitors so they don't die of loneliness. It's a very good point and I'm, I'm uh, indebted to his uh, remarks too because he he led me uh, toward the idea of, uh, you know, where's the science based on this? But to return to this point, he's, he's absolutely right. But it speaks to what we, uh, how we treat residents in long-term care, even under the best of circumstances. Are they uh, helpless pawns of a system that'll tell them what to do and where to go and when to sit and when to stand? Or do they have a say at all? Does anybody consult with them as adults as opposed to, um, you know, helpless children, and um, why don't they have the right to have more visitors, uh, you know, under some regime that's less onerous than this, or at least to find out that they'd like to have more visitors more often, and then make your plans accordingly. But there's no such mechanism anymore. And as I say, I think it's all optics at this point. The government is trying to create uh, the impression that it's got things well in hand, and in fact, uh, it does not. Uh, let me let me give the numbers out again. I'd like to hear from people on these questions. So first of all, if you had a chance to visit someone in long-term care, what do you think? Uh, and how did they seem to you? Did they seem well? Did they seem deteriorated throughout all of this? And what do you think of what we've been saying? Has the whole approach to this, which is a very, very top-down approach, uh, is it ageist? Or, I mean, the, f- the fact, on the other hand, is that, you know, more and more people in long-term care are, are sicker. A lot of them have dementia. They're older. Um, not that that is necessarily uh, a cause of this. Uh, so, people, uh, tell us what you think and tell us about your experiences. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And I'm here with the Zoomer squad. M- Marissa has... Yeah. Um, so, so I concur with uh, Dr. Stahl and, and with David. I think so much of what goes on in long-term care is rooted in ageism, and um, it's it's so pervasive we don't even see it. And I and I agree completely that so rarely, if not you know, never are our residents consulted on these things, and they ought to be. Um, but the other thing is, is residents are often not even made aware of what's going on in their own home. Maybe someone was terminated for cause. Are residents made aware of the fact that this nurse was doing blah, blah, blah? So, you know, these are some of the things that I think that, you know, we need to start looking at now. And also even remember at the beginning of the pandemic, Libby, we weren't even reporting on deaths in long-term care. I was calculating them on a calculator on my phone, trying to piece together news stories to figure out what the total death rate was in these in nursing homes compared to the rest of the country, uh, community deaths. So I think that 
this has been a real eye-opener for, for not just politicians, but I think for Canadians, um, not only those who have loved ones in long-term care, but those who perhaps anticipate going there one day or think they may know someone who may end up there one day. And it's, and it's time we have, you know, a real honest conversation about, about this broken system. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, that comes up, it's come up uh, with a couple of my friends who are people in their 50s and 60s. And, and the kind of word is, you know, if we ever thought that would ever be an alternative for us, forget about it. Right. Uh, exactly. I, sure. I mean, I, I think that that, I mean, it is just, uh, you know, and people feel very, very strongly about this. Let's let's take a call uh, from Leslie in Toronto. Hi, Leslie. Hi. Uh, good uh, good afternoon, Libby, and thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. Go ahead. I'm calling because I'm frustrated on behalf of a friend of mine who's stuck in his room in his retirement home, twenty three seven. They uh, have to have their uh, meals in their room. And uh, now that it's warm, they let them outdoors one hour a day. And that's the only time I've been able to visit him, uh, which is like well, there's this sort of fence between us. Um, so uh, and he he's really in a difficult situation before uh, COVID. He was getting around on his own. He's in a wheelchair and he has a cerebral palsy. So. Um, his speech is somewhat labored, so the phone's really not an option for him. But in person, he has a lot of friends and activities that he does, and they won't test him. Even though he tested negative, uh, they won't test him and won't allow him to leave. And I, I think that's just just an impossible situation. Now, is that is is that situation uh, as of last week? Because some restrictions were were lifted, and do you it's know if- as of yesterday, it's ongoing. Yeah, the the home can make up their own policy, really, to override the provincial policy, depending on circumstances. So, um, in effect, he's being treated like a prisoner almost, you know? like he, And probably paying very good money for the privilege. He, he yeah. certainly is. They're raising the rates soon, he told me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> un, un, unbelievable. I mean, it it is, it's... I don't know. Words words fail me. I wish it were unbelievable. It, well, yeah, that's a good point. And uh, were you at least able to comfort him a little bit when you saw him, Leslie? Well, well he's happy to see me. Uh, I'm not the only one that visits him. But in any case, he's, he's thrilled to have company. But he's so frustrated with, I mean, he has a life. <laughs> he, he, could, he could, he, I mean, he wheels himself around to, to places. Um, and does things and has projects and so on. He said without Zoom, uh, you know, he, he attends uh, Zoom meetings. Without his computer, I mean, he'd, be, he'd have gone completely nuts, he tells me. And so, uh, yeah, but still, uh, he's still a prisoner and feels like one. And did he seem uh, the same to you, or did he seem deteriorated? Deteriorated in, in, mentally, in, in the sense, uh, I don't mean like intellectually, he's just as sharp as ever. But um, he's usually really upbeat, I mean, considering, I mean, he's had cerebral palsy most of his life. So, um, you know, he's a, he's a pretty unique individual. Um, but he, he never used to call me and just a vent. Uh, and now he's been doing that. So that, that's just not a good sign. And, and I don't think he's getting the proper care, uh, regardless of what he's paying for it, uh, when you look at the big picture. 
Oh, it's so disappointing to hear that. But Leslie, I'm I'm really glad that you called in and shared that with us. And uh, I'm going to ask the panel if there's anything they can think of that can be done. But, you know, the more we air these stories, the more there's a chance that someone might listen. Leslie, thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, your activity. Appreciate it. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Wow. Um, Marissa. Well, well, I, oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead, Go ahead Marissa. Go- no, go ahead, David. Well, I was just going to say, it's a, think about, try this thought experiment. What if Leslie's friend was not in a, a retirement home? What if he was living on his own? I could walk down the corner uh, where I have a market that I walk to once or twice a week, and there's social distancing. I could see him. I've seen people there uh, lined up uh, in a wheelchair. I'm not necessarily cerebral palsy. People are putting in social distancing. They're wearing face masks or not, sometimes not even. Um, Clearly, that regime says if you social distance and wear a mask, that's the measure we're taking to combat infection. What changes in his right to be treated like a human being if he's inside that uh, retirement home? He wouldn't be faced with that if he was outside. So when he moves into the home... He loses certain things that would be available. Now, the science, the medicine, the the virus doesn't know whether he's in a retirement home or whether he's out on the street. If the government standards are rational, why aren't they applied evenly? Why do they become um, more uh, irrational and more arbitrary when you're inside the building than when you're out? And that's the ageism problem, I think, uh, or part of it. Okay, I want to take a call from Verna, who called us last week about seeing her husband for the first time and, and having to stand in line and get tested. Verna, thanks for calling back. How are you? I'm, I'm okay, Libby. Thank you very much. I sent you the photographs of the first visit I had with Bruce. Oh, I, um, I'm, I didn't see it, but tell us how it went, please. Okay. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that um, my husband's long-term care home, he's in a special unit there, did an excellent, excellent, wonderful job of setting up the um, restricted visiting in the parking lot. It was beautiful. You'll see from the photos, I'll send them again. Uh, they'd put up tents around the parking lot and decorated with flowers and so on. They They made a wonderful effort and they gave... Um, my husband arose to give to me, um, and it was lovely, but it was a visit, and I was um, very excited, of course, so at the time it was just excitement, but now, um, yesterday I went to deliver a Father's Day card to the reception to be given to Bruce. I'd had it all sealed up for 72 hours, so it was quite safe to send in, and I didn't actually do a window visit but I looked because it was lunchtime I looked through the window and I saw all the residents in the unit and I have to say I was so shocked at the deterioration of all of them because I had got to know them all over the last 15 months of going in nearly every day Um, and I was shocked and Bruce was being um, cared for two caregivers walked him in and tried to get him to sit down, but he seems to have lost the ability to know how to sit down. So I was really shocked with that. 
he got a glimpse of me at the window and a really nice nurse came over and wrote me a message on a notepad and said, do you mind if we turn Bruce around so he can't see you so he's not distracted while he has his lunch? And I said, yes, that's fine. But I noticed such a dramatic deterioration yesterday especially but when i saw him as well at the visit outside i noticed he was very frail and he had a blank you know when he wasn't actually interacting with me um he had a blank affect you know his face was blank so it's now all very shocking to me i went for my second covid test yesterday so i can visit him again and they were very kind to me, but they asked, the doctor asked me what meds I was on. I told him that I was on antidepressants and he asked me why. And of course, that opened the floodgates because I am so depressed and grieving about it all. Um, but most importantly, um, having said all that, the most important thing for me is to get back into that home as a family caregiver. Um, before... It was shut down for COVID. I was going in four to seven hours a day and providing personal care and exercise. Every afternoon I would dance with Bruce and I put on a CD of Andre Ryu and we'd do all the marching. And his quality of life was great. Now he looks he looks shattered and I'm shattered and my I, would, I have an armour of denial, always thinking I could make Bruce better. But now it's shattered and I know I can't. And I just want to get back in and provide him with the care that he deserves from oh, me. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that, Verna. I, I, it's, it's, it's terrible to hear, but, you know, we, we have to hear it. And, and thank you so much uh, for telling us about this and keep in touch. I'm, I'm going to let Marissa respond to you, but you know, uh, good for you for keeping at it. And um, you know, we have to hear these things. And I'm I'm really sorry to hear that. Yes, yes, I know. I know it's just difficult, but I'm going to keep fighting to get in there because you know we have more family caregivers, uh, family visitors. We have to have more testing than the staff do, which doesn't make sense to me. Absolutely I- not. Absolutely no, not. I feel if we're tested and we wear PRP, we should be allowed and take all the precautions. We should be allowed to give care to our loved ones before they die, before we can help them. Verna, thanks so much for that. Uh, you take care. Thank you. Thank you, Libby. Bye. Wow. Um, we're going to have to wrap up on that note. Marissa, anything you'd like to say to Verna and people in her situation? You know what? Uh, my heart just breaks for Verna and for for families who who aren't able to see their loved ones in these homes and haven't been able to for four months and and are being told that they're only allowed to go in once a week and that it's being limited for forty five minutes and they can't even hold them and and hug them and give them a kiss even though they've tested negative on a test and you know. That's the situation we're in. We need to remember that, one, these homes should not be prisons. These are their homes. These are where people live. Um, How would you like it if you were treated that way in your own home? And, two, we have to remember that family caregivers are a necessity. They play a critical role in the life of, of 
loved ones living in long-term care facilities. So it was a good decision for the province to ease these restrictions. But honestly, I would urge the president or the province rather to 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 be more practical with their approach because I mean you could hear just the heart ache in Verna's voice and and I can tell you we get these stories every day Libby it's 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 heartbreaking uh, I'm sorry guys we're, we're out of time I've got to wrap things up you know um, I look forward to the day when we don't have to have these conversations but it's not coming anytime soon and in the meantime thank you so much Marissa Lennox Peter Muggridge and David Kravitz appreciate your time thank you Libby Thanks, You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.